A.W. Tozer has a, uh, a great and I think very true and powerful quote. He says, what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Right? That's, that's a very true quote. What, what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you because it determines everything about your life, everything that you are, everything that you will do. Uh, that is how you understand and think about God gives shape to your entire life. Right? If you see Jesus as just this good guy, right, this great teacher, this great prophet, well then, you know, he offers you advice that you're free to take or leave uh, at, your, at your will. But if you understand him as he is, as the, the king that he is, well, you, you have to listen. You have to listen to what he has to say. Therefore, having a true and right understanding about who God is, who Jesus is, is essential to living in right relationship with him. It's essential to truly enjoying him and rightly worshiping him. Sometimes we, we just want to jump, kind of skip ahead uh, into what Jesus has done rather than talking about, uh, you know, who he is and really thinking on that. We sort of just bypass that. But you see, if we fail to really appreciate and understand who Christ is, it diminishes our understanding of what he's done. And so in Hebrews 1, the author, he really wants us to have a right understanding of who Jesus is. He, he wants us to know, obviously, what, what Jesus has done to rescue and redeem us. But, but the author really wants us to have this beautiful picture of the person of Christ. To behold Jesus' glory in a way that gives shape to every aspect of our lives. We, we saw last week in the first three verses uh, of this book, that it, and it will continue through uh, the, the rest of chapter one in our text this week. We'll, we'll continue to see those same things. Last week focused more on, on Jesus as the true and better prophet who, who comes as the final word from God. And we also saw and talked a little bit about Jesus as the, the true and better priest who made purifications uh, for our sins and by offering himself as the once and for all sacrifice on the cross in our place. And, and we briefly touched on his third ministry as the true and better king, who after making purification for our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is the king who conquered sin and death through his life, death, and resurrection. And as chapter one continues, it's this ministry of king that remains in focus as we see Jesus is the king who rules and reigns over all. That's what we're going to see in our text today, Hebrews chapter one, verses four through 14. Uh, I invite you to turn there in your Bibles and, and wherever you're at, stand with me for the reading of God's word. I'm actually going to begin a little bit uh, before verse 4, just at the end of verse 3 here, because it's in the middle of a sentence, and that bothers me. So, hear the word of the Lord. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, 
Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we pray that you would help us to see you, to see your son, to see you as the triune God, as you are. Help us to have a right understanding of you that, that gives shape to our lives in the ways you would have us or that we would live for your glory in every way possible. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. You may have a seat. Jesus is the king who rules over all. And as the king over all, Jesus alone is worthy of our worship. He alone deserves our deepest worship. Uh, but in making this point, the author of Hebrews compares Jesus with angels. The first declaration that we, that we see here is that Jesus is greater than angels. He's greater than angels. You remember the context of this letter. This is important because the author is writing to Jewish Christians who are facing hardship and persecution. They're, they're in danger of sort of slipping back, tempted to return to Judaism in order to escape the difficulties that they're now facing. And the author of Hebrews writes this letter to encourage them to press on, to endure, to not shrink back, as we'll see later. He reminds them that Jesus is better. He's far superior. So don't turn back. That's his message. And in showing the greatness and the supremacy of of Christ, he says here that, that Jesus is much superior to angels, but angels are something that's, that are kind of lost on us today, right? The reality, I mean, we kind of look at this passage, we're like, why, why are we talking about angels? What's the point here? I don't get the whole deal. But the reality is, is that uh, most of us probably don't spend much time thinking about angels. And if we do, it's probably like, you know, Cupid at Valentine's Day and the other kind of greeting card, uh, kind of angelic sort of things that are out there. But for the original recipients of this letter, it's clear from the text that angels were a topic of serious thought and consideration to a point that the author senses a real temptation and danger that, that Jesus would be considered an equal with the angels or like an angel or may, that he is an angel. And while that's not a specific issue that most of us are, are tempted with to think about, uh, we could probably use a clearer, more biblical understanding of what angels actually are as we, we see Jesus as better and greater and different other than the angels. Spoiler alert, they are not like Cupid. Um, so what are angels? What are they? Angels are mentioned over a hundred times in the Old Testament and over 160 times in the New Testament. 
They exist in vast numbers. Revelation 5.11, for example, describes myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands uh, of angels gathered around the throne of Christ in in glory. Uh, The Bible makes it clear that in most cases, angels are invisible. We don't see them. Uh, Ordinarily, when angels are visible, they have a human-like appearance, and, and often in several Old Testament texts in particular, we see that they're kind of even mistaken for men. Um, sometimes they shine with glorious light. Other times they appear as majestic winged creatures, such as the seraphim, the cherubim in the Old Testament, in Exodus and Isaiah. Uh, but one thing is really true. They, they, if we saw one, we would not be like, oh, how cuddly and cute. I mean, usually when an angel appears in the Bible, the first words out of that angel's mouth are, fear not, because their presence is, is so staggering and shocking. Uh, both the Hebrew and Greek words for angel mean the same thing. They mean messenger, pointing to their essential function as the divine message bearers sent from God. As God's messengers, they can flex some immense power. For example, striking down a massive army in 2 Kings 19 verse 35 and delivering captives from prison as we see in Acts 12, 7 through 11. There are at least four specific functions we can kind of point to that are given throughout the Bible that angels carry out. Angels continuously worship and adore and praise God. That's their first function. Uh, Angels communicate, secondly, God's message to man. Think the angel Gabriel visiting Mary. Hey, you're about to have a baby and he's kind of a big deal. Um, Angels minister to believers. They they have dramatically delivered believers. They rejoice when a uh, sinner comes to faith. They they minister to believers. And fourth and finally, angels will be God's agents when Jesus returns again to judge the living and the dead. They will be his agents carrying out that judgment. Angels are truly awesome beings, and yet, yet, Jesus is better. He is far greater than they. The author gives us several ways that Jesus is greater. He says, Jesus has a greater name. Look, look at verse 5. He says, for, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. This is a quotation, uh, actually two quotations from the Old Testament. The first is from Psalm 2-7, and the, the second is from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14. And the point is that the author is making, Jesus is the fulfillment of, of both of these messianic prophecies here in the Old Testament. He, his, his greater name is this, Son. He's not an angel. He's the Son of God. That's the point. He's the reigning Lord as the Son of God. He has a greater name. Jesus also has a greater glory. Scripture tells us here in verse 6 that that the angels worship Jesus. And they do worship Jesus. They have worshiped Jesus. We see this in the Bible. When the birth of Christ is announced to, uh, in Luke chapter 2, the angels worship Jesus. In Luke 2, 13 and 14, we read there, and suddenly there was with uh, uh, the angels a, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and, and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Revelation 5, we just referenced, also gives us a glimpse of the incredible worship of the angels uh, that they will give to Jesus in the new heaven, new earth. 
Jesus is greater than the angels because the angels worship him. They acknowledge that he is greater than they. Uh, Jesus is greater because he's the creator and sustainer of all things. Verses 10 through 12, uh, cite Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27, declaring Jesus again as the word that spoke everything into being at creation. He is the son of God who creates. Angels are created beings. They are servants of God, created by the Son, created by God, created to serve him, to serve his people as he directs them. Clearly, Jesus is greater than angels. That is the point that's being made throughout that passage. These Jewish Christians who were receiving this letter, they needed this reminder. They needed it. For in the face of persecution, they were being faced with a temptation to find a way out of their suffering, to find a way out of their hardship by simply considering Jesus to be an angel. Perhaps, perhaps even the greatest of the angels, not unlike the Jehovah's Witnesses and what they, of our day, and what they think of Jesus as kind of this archangel. Uh, but for these Jewish Christians receiving this letter, letter, if they would simply see Jesus as an angel, but not God, they might find acceptance in the place of the ridicule and suffering they were enduring. They needed this strong reminder of the supremacy of Christ. And while you and I might not be tempted to, to consider Jesus as an angel, uh, we, we too are confronted by a world that wants a lesser Christ, wants, a, uh, wants, wants to lessen Christ's true nature and, and glory, and wants us to, to submit to that. The world takes offense at Jesus only, Christ alone. Jesus as Lord and Savior and King. Those are offensive words in our culture. The culture we live in doesn't necessarily demand that we abandon Christ, though completely, but if only you will see Jesus as a way, a way of life. If you could see, simply see him as a God. If you can simply come to see Jesus as a, a great teacher, a great, a great man, a great prophet, even, even the best of men, yet not as the sovereign Lord that he actually is, then you might feel the pressure come off of you a little bit. The world is fine if you will say yes to Jesus, but it's a lesser Jesus, an all-affirming Jesus who will never tell you that you're wrong, uh, a Jesus who only loves and only encourages, but never rebukes. You may not be tempted to regard Jesus as being like an angel or being the chief of angels, uh, but you are absolutely faced with the temptation to see Jesus as lesser than he truly is. And so while the, the text here is declaring that Jesus is greater than angels, it is also declaring to these original readers and to us that Jesus reigns as the eternal king. That is the heart of this passage. Jesus is greater than angels because he's the son of God. He's greater because as the eternal son of God, he is creator. And as creator, as the son of God, he reigns as eternal king. The author quotes, again, there's so many quotes here from the Old Testament in these verses. He quotes it here from Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7 and verses 8 and 9. He says, but, but of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of, your, uh, of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness, hated wickedness. 
Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Angels may surround the throne and and worship, but it is Jesus who sits on the throne. That is the point that's being made here. And his throne, his, his scepter, his anointing, all give us this powerful image of Christ for who he actually is. He's the sovereign king, the eternal king. His throne, his rule will never end. His scepter his, or his authority is, is carried out in his righteousness. His perfect righteousness, but which by his sacrifice on the cross, he, he freely gives to all who put their hope in him. His anointing with the oil of gladness refers to the, the heavenly joy that belongs to Jesus as the king of kings. The joy that was set before him to come and live and die and rise in your place. And don't miss the rich and wonderful Trinitarian language that we have here throughout this first chapter of Hebrews. Jesus is God, right? Whose throne is eternal. And Jesus is at the same time anointed by God, right? How how is that possible? He's the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. We saw verse verse three. this, This is all pointing to the wonderful, mysterious reality that God is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who exist in, who are each fully and equally God and exist in eternal relationship with one another. Eternally, just reflecting love and worship and glory from person to person within the one Godhead. Functioning together in distinct roles to create and redeem. Our God is triune. That's, that's plain here in the text if you look for it, if you open your eyes. And, and Jesus as the Son of God, he, he reigns as the eternal King. He is not only the, the prophet who speaks and the priest who saves, he's also the King who rules. And his rule will have no end. Verses 10 through 12 make this point. Though the creation will perish, the Son will remain. His years will have no end. And so his reign as king over all has no end. At the close of this letter, the author will again return to this, this same point in Hebrews 13, 8. He'll, he'll tell us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. His eternal reign is ultimate and it is glorious. To emphasize this, the Old Testament passage that is quoted and referenced more often in the New Testament than any other it is, is cited here. Psalm 110, it is quoted here in verse 13. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool under, for your feet? The answer to the question here, of course, is uh, very obvious. None. No one, right? Not one angel has he ever said that to. None. Christ's absolute authority and power uh, of, of his reign is imaged here and in Psalm 110, this verse that is referenced, with the, the image of a, conquer, uh, a conquering and a conquered king. Two kings, one who conquered and one who, was, uh, who, who was, uh, has been conquered. Uh, and in the custom of that day, the conquered king, the one who has been defeated, would fall on his face and kiss the conqueror's feet. And then the victorious king would put his foot on the captive's neck so that his defeated enemy became his footstool. 
And Jesus has conquered our ultimate enemies of Satan, sin, and death by living the sinless life that you never could, by dying the death that you deserve for your sins on the cross, and by being raised victorious over sin and death on that third day. He is the conquering king, and his reign is ultimate, and it will have no end. The Apostle Paul describes this glorious reign like this in in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. He says, One day at the name of of Jesus, every, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every human being, every angel, every demon will be among that number on that day, giving him glory, confessing him. Not necessarily giving him worship, but but giving him his due. Jesus is the king over all. Let's take a moment to consider what what this means for us. Let's look at just a couple of the many wondrous things that this, this means for us. First, because Jesus is the king over all, it means that he has the right to command. He has the absolute right to command. He spoke everything into existence at creation. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. It means he could cause your existence, my existence to cease like that, which is the word. He is the son of God, the enthroned Lord. That means that he has the absolute right to command, the absolute right to say, this is right and this is wrong. The absolute right to say, this brings honor to God and this dishonors God. It means he has the absolute right to declare this truth over your life and into your life. A right view, a right understanding of of Jesus makes it impossible for us to even think, let alone try to bend his word and his will to say what affirms what we think is best and right and true. I mean, if Jesus is just a guy, even if he's just an angel, Maybe his advice is something we have the freedom to dismiss. But Jesus is not that. He's the king of all, the creator, the sustainer, the son of God. That's who he is. So he has absolute, the absolute right to speak into us, to confront us in love and call us out and call us to repentance and faith. He's the king over all. And that all includes you. The only way, right? You can't, you can't bend him to your will. The only way is to bring your thoughts and your life into submission to him. It's the only way. Because as king, he has the right to command. But listen, listen to this. He, even with that right, he's not some arbitrary dictator just bossing you around for the fun of it. He's not some tyrant. He employs his right to command to speak words of grace and mercy. Jesus even even held back his right to command on the cross, his right to command the angels to come to his rescue. He he held that back that he might die in your place and pay your, your debt of sin to the full. Jesus commands from his cross, it is finished. From his cross, he he declares that, declaring that your debt has been paid in full, your debt of sin once and for all. 
And Jesus is now enthroned, seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he commands that those who put their trust in him are forgiven. They are adopted as children of God. As the king over all, he has the right to command. That's a good and wonderful truth. And he also has the power to rescue. He has the power to rescue. He has the power to rescue you from your sin and the death that you deserve because of your sin. You might protest and say, but uh, you don't know about my story. Uh, You don't know about what I've done or what I've been through. But don't you see, Jesus is the king over all. Over all. He has the power to rescue anyone. Anyone. No sin is too great. No sinner is too far gone. You're not beyond his reach. I mean, hear what he says to us throughout his word. In Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12, we read, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Romans 5.20 Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, Uh, Increase grace abounded all the more. It means you cannot outsend his grace. You are not beyond his reach. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jesus isn't some guy. He's not even some angel. He is the Son of God, the eternal King of all, who says to you, if you will but turn from your sins and put your hope and your trust in Him, you are forgiven. Even more, He he clothes you with His perfection and declares you are righteous in the sight of God. He declares that you are now adopted as God's beloved child. He's the King. He has the power to do that. And by that same saving power, he is able to sustain you, to sustain you, to give you strength to endure in the faith, even in the face of ridicule and persecution. You see, you see the beauty of, of both his right to command and his power to rescue and sustain in this final verse from Hebrews chapter one, where Jesus, we're told, commands his angels to minister and serve those who are to inherit salvation. He commands his angels to serve you, Christian. He sends them to help preserve you in the faith. You don't see them. It's mysterious what they're, how they're working. But we know from chapters like Ephesians 6 that there is a spiritual realm and spiritual warfare going on. And he sends his angels to preserve you, to attend to you, to, to aid you in that spiritual battle. But the message is clear in this chapter that all the glory of that power to rescue and sustain belongs not to angels, but to Jesus the King, to him alone. And so because Jesus is greater than angels, because he's the eternal king over all, because he possesses the right to command and the power to rescue and sustain, with this right view of Jesus, we should trust him. We should trust him. We should cling to him with, with all that we are. 
You should trust him completely for your rescue and redemption, knowing that he's the king who conquered Satan, sin, and death, and he reigns forever over them. You should trust him for sustaining grace and hope, even in the face of hardship and persecution and ridicule, knowing that he sends his angels even to serve you, knowing that he is is right now himself at the Father's right hand, interceding for you, praying for you, and that the word that he speaks there in the throne room of heaven cannot be undone. You should trust him for all of your joy and satisfaction, knowing that he alone reigns in glory and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And you should live to join with the heavenly host in the worship of King Jesus with every bit of your life knowing that he's the king who took on flesh to live for you, to die for you, and who is now risen and reigning. Let his love, his grace, let the true picture of who he is move you to love him and want to obey him, to desire to honor him with your life. Not because you have to, but because you get to, because he first loved you and he first welcomed you in. Let it move you to live for his glory in every possible way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to see your son as he truly is today. Help us to see him as the king who rules and reigns over all. Jesus, help us to think of you as you truly are and let that understanding give shape to all that we are and all that we do. Enable us to see the wonder of your glory as our eternal king as we also see the wonder of your love and your grace for us. Lord, fill our hearts with love for you. Holy Spirit, enable us to live for our King Jesus more and more each day as we rest in his finished work and in in the comfort of knowing that, that he even sends his angels to serve us as his people. May who Jesus is and all that he's done by his love and grace empower us to bring him much glory. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.